Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join Executive Pastor Dr. Tucker York. But you turn with me in the scriptures to Numbers chapter 16 to continue in this series. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, were struck down by the Lord for offering profane fire on the Lord's altar. Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, abused the sacrifices at the tabernacle as well as the women who served there. And the Lord struck them down by the hands of the Philistines in battle. The Ark of the Covenant, when it was being transported to Jerusalem on an ox cart, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah held out his hand to steady the Ark and fell dead on the spot. In each case, men disregarded the Lord as holy and paid dearly for it. In our passage... Rebellious men rise up to challenge Moses and Aaron, and in so doing, they disdain the Lord who is holy and a righteous judge, who alone is the prerogative to appoint leaders for his people. Those of us who have ears to hear, let us listen to God's word in this warning before this long passage, Numbers chapter 16. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. For all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard it, he fell on his face. And he said to Korah and all the company, In the morning the Lord will show you who is his and who is holy, and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses he will bring near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah and all his company, Put fire on them and put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the Holy One. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. And Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself? to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them, that he has brought you near him and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you. And would you seek the priesthood also? Therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and they said, We will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you must also make yourself a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. 
Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. And Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them. I have not harmed one of them. And Moses said to Korah, Be present, you and all your company before the Lord, you and they and Aaron tomorrow. And let every one of you take his censer and put incense on it, and every one of you bring before the Lord his censer. 250 censers, you also and Aaron each his censer. So every man took his censer and put fire in them and laid incense on them and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Then Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and you will be angry with all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the congregation, Get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents, together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it was not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all their belongings to them, and they go down into alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the mist of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest to take up the censers out of the blaze. Then scatter the fire far and wide, for they have become holy. As for the censers of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar. For they offered them before the Lord, and they became holy. Thus they shall be assigned to the people of Israel. So Eleazar the priest took the bronze censers, which those who were burned had offered, and they were hammered out as a covering for the altar, to be a reminder to the people of Israel, so that no outsider who is not of the descendants of Aaron should draw near to burn incense before the Lord, lest he become like Korah and his company, as the Lord said to him through Moses. But on the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. 
And when the congregation had assembled against Moses and against Aaron, they turned toward the tent of meeting. And behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And Moses and Aaron came up to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from the midst of this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. And Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer, and put fire on it from off the altar, and lay incense on it, and carry it quickly to the congregation, and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. So Aaron took it, as Moses said, and ran into the midst of the assembly. And behold, the plague had already begun among the people. And he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. And the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700, besides those who died in the affair of Korah. And Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting when the plague was stopped. This is God's word. Father, this evening, we would ask that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of each of our hearts might be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Each of us are born into this world with rebellion in our hearts. Our nation is one that was founded on rebellion. We live in a society that's having a crisis of authority, with more and more people having less and less confidence in their leaders and their institutions. People need leaders, perhaps more now than ever. And yet many are skeptical to trust their leaders for failures, many high-profile failures in recent years and decades. The church is not immune, as many have become cynical of pastoral leadership due to abuses of power and various scandals and high-profile failures of once-trusted pastors, preachers, and teachers. Yes, leaders must be held accountable. There are none who are above reproach or above the law. But there is a difference between questioning leaders out of godly respect an active rebellion against God who establishes legitimate authorities. In our passage, what began with the murmuring of discontent grows and develops into outright rebellious challenge against God's appointed leadership for his people. Ours is a long and complicated passage, but we would approach it tonight through the lens of rebellion rebuke, and redemption. Our passage opens with Korah, a Levite, and the Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, another Reubenite by the name of On, who's not mentioned again, who rise up and with them come 250 men who are clan chiefs, well-known men among the Israelites. This was no small affair and perhaps was quite intimidating to Moses and Aaron But these two who had stood in the very presence of God and before Pharaoh would not back down before these rabble 
rousers and troublemakers in Israel. The complaints of these men are twofold. They first charge Moses and Aaron with going too far, with stepping beyond their bounds and exalting themselves above the whole assembly. These men insist that the whole congregation is holy and the Lord is among them. They wanted a new leader, a new priest who would cater to their preferences. But this is more than a mere feud between tribal leaders. This is an outright challenge to the God-ordained authority for his people. The way in which this passage escalates and God's severe response confirms that this was rebellion. And just as a mutiny on a ship at sea, so death must be justly and swiftly executed. Their second complaint comes in verses 12 through 14, where Moses seeks out Dathan and Abiram, but these men refuse to meet with Moses. They instead accuse him of bringing them out of a land flowing with milk and honey, only to kill them there in the wilderness. They go on to make the audacious claim that Moses has set himself as a prince over his people. They twist the promises of God, who had promised them a land flowing with milk and honey and make Egypt out to be a land of bliss and plenty and ignore the grievous slavery they endured. Oh, how quickly they had forgotten their burdens and their oppression under the taskmasters of Egypt. And while life in the wilderness was hard, at least they were free to follow the Lord at his commands. But these men preferred the predictability of slavery to living by faith in the God who would provide for their every need. These men refused to humble themselves nor take responsibility for their sin or accept the judgment of God upon the people with 40 years in the wilderness and instead blame Moses, exaggerating his intent and deed as though he had led them recklessly out into the wilderness to their doom. They insinuate that Moses was taking advantage of his position to ingratiate himself with privileges. Now, noble and obedient men would have accepted their lot, holding fast to the promises of God and faithfully led their children to the edge of the land that truly flowed with milk and honey, assuring that the next generation would enjoy the inheritance of lands and vineyards. But no, they wanted theirs now. Wanted what was coming to them. And in so doing, they risked squandering the promises of God and incurring his wrath. And like all those whose reward is only in this life, Dathan and Abiram want comfort, peace, and prosperity on their own terms without the faith, courage, and hard work required to attain it. This is rebellion, defiance of the Lord. 
It's a denial of God's authority, a refusal to submit to his will. God's mission was to deliver his people Israel to the promised land. And this was contingent upon faithful and qualified leadership guiding them. To abandon Moses was akin to abandoning God's presence and promises. Without Aaron as the high priest, they lacked a mediator before a holy God. The parallel today would be people who may call themselves Christians, but embrace a Christless Christianity, who deny a biblical Jesus, the Jesus of Scripture who condemned sin and paid the penalty for sin on the cross of Calvary. And just as our Christian welfare depends upon our abiding in Christ, Israel's welfare at that time was at stake if they were to reject Moses and appoint their own leader who would only lead them to disaster, death, and misery. God refused to allow his stubborn people to wreck his plan to deliver them to a land where they might live and prosper as a witness and testimony among the pagan nations and be the very conduit of God's plan to eventually bring a savior into the world. Challenging the pastor or the session of a church does not necessarily amount to rebellion against God. But there are antagonists in Christ's church who will reject legitimate and godly leadership and threaten the peace and the unity of the church, causing great damage. Thankfully, Westminster has been spared such trials and enjoyed much peace and unity over its near 55 years, and we should all be grateful. But there are times that church leaders can and should be challenged as people follow biblical guidelines. And the leaders of Christ's church should be screened by biblical qualifications and held accountable that their lives and their doctrine are fitting those who would be under-shepherds of Christ's flock. Korah and his co-conspirators will receive a rebuke from Moses and the righteous judgment of the Lord. Notice how Moses responds to their unwarranted attacks. In verse 4, he falls on his face prostrate. He does not get defensive, but he trusts himself to the Lord, humbly saying, in the morning the Lord will show you who is his, who is holy and will bring him near the Lord. Moses was appointed by God. He did not campaign for this position. He didn't even want this job. He had begged that the Lord would send another. And yet Moses, who yielded to God's wise selection, grew into the leader that God envisioned despite his many flaws and failures. 
Through trial by fire, Moses was pruned and honed into a mediator, whom Scripture called the meekest man on earth. He instructs Korah and his men to bring censers to the tent of meeting. And he turns their own words against them. You have gone too far, you sons of Levi. It was Korah and his followers who had stepped out of bounds. Their complaint was not with Moses and Aaron, but with God. Abusive leaders hide behind the veneer that those who challenge them are testing God even when they're merely asking legitimate questions. False leaders manipulate those into blindly following them. They can be experts at pitting people against their opponents. They turn the tables when anyone questions their decisions. They are excellent at spreading a bad name at anyone who threatens their agenda and turns their supporters against one who stands in the way of getting what they want. This is not what Moses is doing. Moses and Aaron turned to the Lord to judge between them and their challengers. In verse 15, Moses responds to the attacks of Dathan and Abiram, who have dismissed the judgment of the Lord, who feel entitled and carefree to pass into the land of promise. And Moses is angry with them for accusing him of lording it over the people. But he takes his complaint to the Lord. Similar to Samuel, who will ask at the end of his days anyone who has a charge of injustice against him to rise up and speak. Moses here lays his integrity before for public scrutiny. He has not taken anyone's property. He has not sought financial gain. He has not harmed anyone. He repudiates the false claims of these men who would smear his name and sow distrust and discord among the people, mar his reputation, and he will not back down and leave his people vulnerable to vicious wolves. Korah and company are not asking legitimate questions. They do not care about God's people or God's glory, but seek their own selfish gain. They're disrupting God-ordained authority. Moses and Aaron are not guilty of any form of abuse or sinful deceit. And the faithful God-fearing leader has every right and an obligation to confront the antagonist the one who has threatened the peace and the purity of the church and delegitimatize proper biblical authority. In answer to his critics, Moses puts the men and Aaron to the test, having each one submit his censer, the metal device that was used for burning incense. And the Lord himself would select the high priest. Surprisingly, the 250 men comply Rather than assault Moses and Aaron and take leadership by force, the large crowd gathers to the, before the tent of meeting, but then face a more ominous threat. 
as the glory of the Lord appeared before the congregation. The Lord was ready to pass judgment and commanded Moses and Aaron to separate from these men that he might consume the whole congregation in a moment. And now for the third time in Moses' ministry, the Lord of hosts is provoked to annihilate the whole people of Israel. But true to form, Moses will not concede. He falls on his face to make intercession for the people. He pleads that the Lord not vent his wrath against the whole people for one man's sin. Moses holds Korah as the primary guilty party. And the Lord graciously yields, commanding the whole congregation to get away from Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. We're reminded here that you may be, it may be that you are against everyone. But if you are on the Lord's side, you never stand alone. There are many today who would insist that you and I are on the wrong side of history, holding to our convictions for God's design for marriage and gender and other matters. But even if we should suffer, should be called haters, maybe attacked by crazed radicals, which seems to be coming more and more likely in our rebellious times, you and I will stand vindicated in the end of history when God, the righteous one, will judge those who rebel against his creative order and redemptive purposes. Korah and his followers will receive the ultimate rebuke from the Lord himself. The judgment of God was clear. As Moses orders the people to get away from these wicked men, lest they be swept away in all their sins. You can almost admire the brazen way in which Korah and the others stand outside the doors of their tents. But Moses puts himself to the test again. He lays his integrity, his calling as a prophet of God on the line and proclaims, if these men die a normal death, if they live past today, then the Lord has not spoken by me. But if the Lord does something new and the ground opens up its mouth and swallows these men, taking them down to Sheol. Then indeed, Moses and Aaron are appointed by God. And these men have despised the Lord, justly deserving his wrath and displeasure. And in the following terrifying scene, illustrates for us that the Lord knows who are his. And he knows how to deliver his people from evil days and how to execute judgment upon the ungodly. Jude will write in verse 11, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion, whether through an earthquake or a sinkhole. 
The earth swallows up Korah and his company. He will fall into the belly of the earth, and the Lord sends out fire to consume the other 250 men. Those who would question God's justice. Who wonder whether the Lord is, was too harsh with Korah are the same people who have a problem with hell and eternal punishment. They would find fault with God and God's word. But the fault is not with God, who has made readily evident his power and his goodness beyond doubt, who delivered his people out of Egypt with a strong arm, with signs and wonders, who has spoken by his word, and who has given witness of his righteous character through the testimony of his own son who came in the flesh. Now the problem is not that God's judgment is too harsh. It's that man's self-centeredness is too great. With navel-gazing blindness, men fail to see God's glory, the glory in his creation and redemption. Ignore his signs. Worship the creation rather than the creator. Go their own way. Refuse to take responsibility for the evil that afflicts this world. And would rather blame God for grievous tragedies or even the mildest inconveniences that make life difficult. God's power and glory and wisdom are enough to compel all of us to bow down and worship him with unbridled passion and would alone vindicate the Lord meeting out justice upon the wicked. But it's God's grace and his mercy and redemption that woos and draws us near him and fills us with the desire to join him in his presence above all earthly treasures. These 250 men, consumed with the wrath of God, the rest of the congregation faced grave danger. And the Lord here commands Moses to put Eleazar, the son of Aaron, to work, to hammer these 250 censers, to make a covering for the altar as a sign that Aaron's descendants alone would come near the holy places of God to burn incense. And you would think that the people would learn, would humble themselves before the Lord and before Moses. And yet the people continue to grumble over the deaths of these men and gather in a threatening fashion once again before Moses and Aaron. And so for a fourth time. The glory of the Lord becomes a threat to consume the congregation in a moment. And one would think that Moses was done, who would resign and stand aside to let the consuming wrath of God wipe out the people once and for all. And yet it was not his compassion for his people but his zeal for the Lord Almighty and his glory 
that God might fulfill His promise to deliver His people to the land, to make known His power and His glory among all the nations. Then Moses intercedes once again. Moses ordered Aaron to take up his censer and to make atonement for the people, for a plague had broke out among the people requiring an atonement for sin. Verse verse 48 says that Aaron stood between the dead and the living, and the plague stopped. In that moment, Aaron was Christ-like. Standing between the living and the dead, a dangerous place for the high priest who was forbidden to go anywhere near a dead body, lest he be unclean and draw God's wrath upon himself. Moses is Christ-like in his zeal for God's glory. And Aaron foreshadows the coming Lord Jesus who would stand in the gap to cover over the sins of his people. Sadly, 14,700 people die. And it could have been far worse for all the assembly deserved death. We ought to be less surprised at God's judgment upon sinners and more surprised and amazed at the greatness of his grace and his mercy upon the rebellious, granting you and I repentance unto life and salvation through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. But our passage here is not done was showing us the marvels of God's redeeming grace. Our passage says that the households of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, all these rebels, perished. But Numbers 26, 11 go on to say, but the sons of Korah did not die. Now it's possible they were too young and somehow the Lord spared them, but I believe it's more likely that his sons were adults and refused to take part in the madness of their deranged father and would go on to do marvelous deeds in faithfulness to the Lord and be a blessing to God's people. The Korahites are noted as doorkeepers and custodians in the Lord's tabernacle. A group of Korahites would join David in his military exploits and make a reputation for themselves as expert warriors. Samuel the prophet was a descendant of Korah. His grandson, Heman, became a choral director under David's direction for worship and was the author of Psalm 88. In fact, The sons of Korah are credited with authoring 11 of our psalms, including the beautiful Psalm 42. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O Lord. And the stirring Psalm 46, God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Their father indeed had sinned in the rebellion. 
justly deserving God's wrath and displeasure. But the sons of Korah rewrote their legacy and their commitment to serve the Lord, to follow the Lord's anointed in King David and lead God's people in worship. It's a beautiful thing when generational sin and abuse ceases, when a man or woman comes to faith in Christ and refuses to perpetuate the sins and the idolatries of his or her parents and ancestors. It ends with me. It's a resolve of a man of faith who is now determined, holding fast to the promises of God who makes all things new, who can establish a new legacy and provide a godly heritage to bless future generations. What was it that Korah wanted? Well, it was not God or holiness. He and the others would chart their own course of prosperity and comfort. The sin behind the sin of their grumbling against Moses was truly an assault on God and going in their own way. When we complain against leaders, teachers, coaches, parents, spouses, what is it that is driving us? May we put to death our own murmuring and our discontents and submit to God, determined by faith to be a blessing to others with a good attitude despite our difficulties. And may God give you and I eyes to see, new hearts to believe, grace to trust him, boldness of faith, that we may establish a legacy of righteousness for his glory, to spread his name far and wide until the Lord Jesus comes again. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we do magnify and glorify you as the righteous judge of all the earth and the gracious redeemer of sinners. Thank you for accomplishing for us a great and mighty salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, whose life, death, and resurrection we remember this week. Go with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.